0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer.
1: Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Sue Paul, who is the founder of Synergy Consulting, co-founder of Metapreneurs, and co-founder also of PGX 101, all different businesses she runs that are related to pharmacy. So with that, thanks for coming on the podcast today, Sue. It just some things I always ask people. What are some other roles you have in pharmacy?
0: Other roles? <laughs> Do if I the, need more? If there are um, any other roles you have. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on, Eric. I'm flattered and honored. I am a member of organizations, APHA and OPA. I'm on the board of trustees for the Ohio Pharmacists Foundation. And that is gets it in a nutshell.
1: Again, with PGX 101, you do that with Dan Krinsky, who was on an earlier episode of the podcast. And he kind of always refers to you as a pharmacy rock star. And I think with some of those businesses you have and those national and state-level involvement, I think it kind of speaks for itself with the role you play in our profession. Where did you go to pharmacy school again?
0: UC, University of Cincinnati.
1: Okay, University of Cincinnati. Go Bearcats. Yep, go, yep. Bear, go Bearcats. We, uh, you're going to see some more University of Cincinnati alumni is coming on soon. The reason I wanted you on the podcast today was you actually shared something on LinkedIn that I thought was really amazing. You shared about how pharmacists can help cut down medical waste or drug waste and then therefore help kind of manage prices and cost controls. And you mentioned it by doing it through like an MTM-style program. Can you elaborate on why you think pharmacy waste and why it's such a huge problem and why you believe this is the case?
0: Well, I think it probably started with star ratings. So with benchmarks, adherence, and how do you measure adherence, refills, so, of course, the pharmacies really promoted auto-refill, but any of the changes that are made to the patient's medication list aren't necessarily taken into consideration. And so refilling all the medications may not be appropriate because some may have been discontinued, some may have been changed due to formulary, and that type of thing. Pharmacists can take, play a big role, but there's really no incentive to. In fact, there's incentive not to have pharmacists do this because pharmacists are reimbursed currently transactionally so each prescription filled results in reimbursement why would you decrease the number of medications you're filling for a patient because that decreases your reimbursement
1: yeah and i've seen that for myself working retail where we have patients come in and they just say hey refill everything and then you refill it and then they're like oh i'm no longer on this And it could be something like a statin or a blood pressure medication, or they're changing their diabetes medication, all of which are affect those stars ratings, which affect the insurance rating and if thus affects our reimbursement rating. So I think you definitely hit that one on the head. It's always a catch 22 of when they say something like refill everything. And like you said, we're reimbursed, we're incentivized to do that. But is that actually the right thing for the patient? What do you think are some of the major causes of this waste? Is it the stars ratings and just the current way it's, it's incentivized for us to fill things? Or what do you think is another major cause of that?
0: I think both of them, you just named them right there, the star ratings. So auto refill does help with that. And then having pharmacy as a transactional way of reimbursement versus relational. You know, pharmacists can sit down with a patient and go through their medications and eliminate, deprescribe and eliminate the ones that they don't need. What's the incentive to do that until they start, uh, pharmacists start being paid for that. So I think that that's the way that insurance companies need to go. Maybe they're starting to head, head that way, but I don't see it yet.
1: Yeah, I've seen a few, and I will say a very, very few or occasional case where it happens on a patient who's in outcomes or one of the major MTM platforms where they say, hey, reevaluate the situation. Do they need to be on? something like a proton pump inhibitor like omeprazole and Zantac or ranitidine and trying to make sure that get them just on the ranitidine, things of that nature. But nothing really otherwise has popped up as, hey, why are they why are they taking so much for his example? And I think you hit the case in point here is if you were able to take somebody off a of medication, you can help prevent side effects. You can also reduce the amount the insurance is paying. You think they would want to incentivize us to get them on the least amount of drugs as possible for a number of reasons. Do you think that there's any programs you've seen in coming out that that might be the case, or are you still seeing that, nope, it's just the fee-for-service or the fee-for-transaction uh, type of programs?
0: I haven't seen anything that has been fully formed yet. I mean, I work in a physician's office, and I get to help manage their chronic disease state medications, and that's my goal, and when, I, when a patient comes to see me, that's what I tell them. I'm, I say, I'm a pharmacist, and my job is to get you off of medication, and we try to eliminate what we can right then and there. I don't know why. Maybe it hasn't been told to the insurance companies in that way how pharmacists can help. I know I have tried to do my part with some of our Ohio managed Medicaid plans, but they still just haven't grasped on the benefit, the amazing benefit that a pharmacist can have on quality of life for these patients.
1: Do you think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the more prescriptions we fill, not only do we get paid, but the PBM or pharmacy benefit manager also gets paid, so they're also incentivized to dispense more medications?
0: 100%, yes. It's a, it's a terrible healthcare system.
1: I think that would be a huge benefit if the PBMs work their remodeling a little bit to incentivize pharmacies to get off of get people off those medications, because then they're spending less, they're saving the insurance company more. We know that through some of the pricing, as you mentioned, with the Ohio managed Medicaid programs, they've come under a lot of scrutiny for the hundreds of millions they've overcharged our state since we're both in Ohio. And it's been a huge, uh, a huge thing that's kind of spread and a lot of other states have found Ohio was kind of the canary in the coal mine on that. Do you think that maybe removing a PBM and having pharmacies work directly with the insurance companies would help incentivization structure, if you will?
0: Yes, I wish I knew more about PBMs and what their actual benefit is to work through that middleman, but I have not. But my issue is with the patient. You know, these poor patients who are on too many medications and they're suffering from the side effects and adverse drug reactions and that type of thing. And then to have medicines either sitting around or the one patient I had a picture of, she said the pharmacy keeps calling, and they won't stop calling until I go and pick up my prescription. I know how that is. I had some Zyrtec or something filled once, or I don't know what it was, but it wasn't. <laughs> and, and I keep getting phone calls still, like a year and a half later after I had the prescription filled.
1: I think so. you hit the nail on the head with that with uh, with two things. One, again, obviously we're incentivized to sell them, so that the, the chains and the pharmacies are going to keep calling because – unfortunately for better or worse that's how we're paid is until that prescription is sold that's the only way we're getting any possible money on this so we need the incentivization structure to really like make sure that we are getting paid to doing what's right for the patient and currently some of the mtm programs don't always have that in place there are some where you can do it you have to like kind of do an ad claim if you will i'm sure you've seen that with some of your mtm experiences but they don't always go through or they ask for more data or they really want the, the prescriber to document that do you think that if uh pharmacists, one, change the way they presented themselves to patients, like you said, making sure that, hey, I'm a pharmacist. I'm here to make sure you're on the optimal medications. That might mean taking you off some is kind of step one. And step two would be something like provider status. So we can actually bill for those interactions and the deprescribing, if you will.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that is the solution.
1: Yes. When it comes to something like provider status, I know you've worked with some different forms of pharmacy that do with more consulting. How do you see that being able to be built? Do you know?
0: Oh, yeah. So, well, pharmacists, I assume, will have an MPI, and they'll have a contract with the insurance company, and they'll be credentialed and that type of thing, and then we'll go ahead either the insurance company directly or through Medicaid. That's what I see. That's what I see as the future of pharmacy is having technicians and the technology filling the prescriptions, and the patients coming into this point of service and sitting down with the pharmacist and go, having a thorough uh, having an appointment with the pharmacist and going through medications thoroughly, and then having them a collaborative care agreement if ne- if necessary with the physician to go ahead and make any changes once the patient's been diagnosed. So once the patient's been diagnosed, I mean the physician has done what their practice at the top of their license. And pharmacists can certainly um, manage their medication regimens from that point on. So that's what I see happening.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned obviously in the thing that kind of brought this whole podcast together that you believe that face-to-face MTMs are the way to really help kind of stop this over-prescribing of things and making sure that you know either the pharmacist is going to the person's house, they're bringing their meds into the pharmacy so you can see what all they're taking and how they're taking it why do you think that is so much better than doing an mtm over the phone like a lot of, we're seeing a lot of these insurances and major uh, retailers go to
0: well a you have to call the right phone number you know I, li- I work in a low health literacy low lower socioeconomic um population and and changing phone numbers is like changing underwear so that's an issue and then the second thing is that the person has to answer and then if you do get them on the phone, you know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. But I do these face-to-face in the physician's office and in their homes. And oftentimes, even with that, I'll say, okay, well, you're missing this medication, the amlodipine. Oh, no, it's in there. Nope, nope, it's not. It starts with an A. <laughs> nope, it should be in there. But when I go to their home and see what they're actually taking and how they're filling their Medisept box, or how they're lining up their bottles, whatever their way of taking their medications is, that's when I can see what they're skipping or what they're adding or what they're missing. And that's the only way that you're going to be able to get them on appropriate therapy is to know everything that they are doing. And the only way you can find out what they are doing is to see it. And oftentimes they can't pronounce it and this, that and the other, so.
1: I don't know how many times people who can't, can't pronounce even pronounce their medications where they say, I need my, my metformin, my hydro-whatever. And I mean, hydro-whatever could be about 30 different drugs depending on <laughs> what you think they're, they're taking. And the confusion yeah. part's also huge because health literacy, like you said, I work in a very similar area, is a major, major problem. We have people, at least at, at my store, who can don't read English or can barely read English. And then you're expecting them to be able to rattle off a, a medication name that's probably eight syllables long. And to be able to understand what it, what it's doing to their system is a whole other whole nother level of comprehension here. And I really like that yeah. you, the, some of the points you brought about seeing exactly what's in their, their pill caddies, if they're using them or encouraging them to use pill caddies, I guess would even be a starting point right there. But a lot of times with that mm-hmm. confusion, they're not sure what they're taking. And it could be someone else saying the pills for them. And then they're experiencing side effects that they don't even realize are a side effect. For example, if they're you know, urinating all the time on certain medications, it could be like, hey, maybe we're giving you too much of it. But with that, there's also chances, and you mentioned this before, with their adherence, their STARS ratings, they could be in the hospital and maybe the hospital discharged them with some. Or maybe they had a friend who stopped using it and they took their pills, which is not something we ever recommend, but I have seen that multiple times. So we don't know if they're actually adherent or not based off their refill pattern. Is that one of the issues you see with STARS and by doing over-the-phone MTMs? Here's
0: how I look at STARS. I look at STARS ratings and pharmacists being responsible for medications, uh, refills, the same way I look at people speeding down the street. The cop is responsible for that street and you say, okay, there were 100 cars down this street today and 80 of them were speeding. So we're going to ding you because this is your area and stop all of them or you didn't make sure that they weren't speeding. How is this possible? How do you control somebody else's human behavior? I, I don't understand that. And then and then be awarded or things for that. It, it, it just doesn't seem to do it. A pharmacist should be able to do what they went to school for versus running medications through the prescription line. And that's just my personal opinion, and I think we need to get to that. I think we need to convince uh, payors and the insurance companies the value
1: that a pharmacist has. I, I do think there is a role for in obviously checking medications and checking prescriptions to make sure they're accurate and of the right dose for sure. And when you talk about just like the, the basic lick and stick part of pharmacy that we always associate it with, but I think delving in that higher part of your education is key here. And I like saying higher part of education instead of license, because we all know that we're probably educated beyond our licenses for what we do. With that, you mentioned obviously STARS ratings have their major issues. And I know that it has to imp- impacts their reimbursement a lot. Obviously, with the way the STARS ratings are done and the way that the PBMs are in- incentivized to like they're playing contracts with the insurance, if you could draw your own world to kind of optimize, what would be the way you would draw this up so that pharmacists could help improve adherence, improve medication, and possibly being reimbursed for that as well?
0: So I, I do believe that pharmacists should be in a physician's office. I do see that as a trend that's going to be catch on. My doctors love having me there. It's I don't think it's just because it's me. I think it's because I'm a pharmacist and I have a different patient perspective. So I think that's going to happen. And then, like I said, with those um, meetings, comprehensive meetings, when the patients come in to pick up their medications and going through everything and then be, having collaborative care agreements so that we can actually manage their medications based on blood pressure and Diabetes, A one C, lipids, that type of thing.
1: I totally agree that again, the seeing more pharmacists in the office, like you are, is going to be a trend that we see going forward. Do you think that that's a key to help us get provider status, so to get the physicians on our side with that, too, or the prescribers on our side, as well as the pharmacists advocating for it, so that they can as well, they can also bill and possibly earn some money from what you're doing with their patients as well.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. With my business model, it brings an additional revenue stream into into the office, and that's what they pay me out of. So I get to work at the top of my license. They get to work at the top of their license. I had an MA last week, a medical assistant. I only had three patients on my schedule, which was unusual, and my doctor is booked through February. They're not available again until the end of February. I would have liked to have recorded the, uh, her rant about the doctor didn't have any appointments available until after February, but I had openings on my schedule. Some of the appointments she had on her schedule for that, that day were medication refills and uh, chronic disease management, and she just identified that why aren't these people on Sue's schedule so that you can see these acute visits and and higher higher urgency visits, so... It was just a beautiful thing, and, so, and I think that's what it is.
1: So you just hit an awesome point. So the medical assistant wanted you to have a fuller schedule so the doctor can take care of more patients. So basically, once again, pharmacist provider status would help increase access to for, to healthcare for patients who need it while also providing a more cost-effective service, correct? Exactly. Man, that's, that's awesome to hear that you have MAs and physicians down there where you work who who really see the value in what you do. I, I think that's a story that cannot get out enough to, whether it be legislators or federal, state, wherever, that want to help make sure pharmacist provider status goes, gets into law and codified, if you will. One other thing mm-hmm. while we're kind of taking a step back here, going, focusing on some of the more deprescribing stuff. Now, I know I've seen this, but have you seen mail-order pharmacy cause a lot of problems with some of the over-prescribing of medications or over-dispensing of medications?
0: Yes, it used to be mail order primarily, but now with all the 90-day fills and stuff, I think that retail is coming up a real close second there. <laughs> Not that 90 days are, are a bad thing, but if I'm just starting off a patient on a medication and it possibly may be adjusted, I don't want to give them 90 days.
1: Yeah, especially when it comes to like a psych med or something like that.
0: Mhm. Exactly.
1: Yeah, there was a New York Times article. I'm sure you read it because you're a big pharmacist uh, advocate and proponent here that just came out that was kind of focused on some of the metric stuff that retails, mail orders, whoever, PBMs are really pushing when it comes to reimbursement. And they're really pushing that as a business model to say, hey, here's how here our patients are and all the stress it puts on pharmacists and how pharmacists have really been taking the brunt of that to really make sure that you know patients are getting their medications and filling in for 90 day supplies. Did you, Were you able to read that article at all?
0: I did not read the article, but I did see the slap about it. And yeah. I totally agree with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think anybody who in pharmacy just read the, the headline of it and the, like the two-sentence synopsis could have been like, yep, I, I totally agree with that one. And as someone who works in retail, I know I've seen that and had to give a lot of pushback in some of those metrics myself. And in fact, kind of what you said, I've had patients who's just started a medication for ibuprofen. And I've seen where the system flags of they need a 90-day supply when it literally came from an ER for 14 tablets. And I'm like, what are we doing here? That's kind of, we don't need this. This should be where I can hop in there and use some of my clinical judgment to say not valid, not applicable. But instead, it gets rolled into the way we're currently reimbursed, which is at that point, if you're filling it for 90-day supply from an ER, you're just making fraudulent claims or making fraudulent statements to the doctor to get that prescription so you can meet some stupid metric all because of what a corporation is pushing upon us instead of actually practicing med- medicine and pharmacy. Is that the way you've seen some of the stuff where these pills accumulate too?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, the patient is totally taken out of the equation.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty sad with the way that... I always say we should put the care back in healthcare, and this is one of those key things where kind of fits when we're yeah. filling all these prescriptions here. And sometimes we might even be taking the health out of healthcare, and then we're left with what? Just a business of selling stuff. Yes. So with that, I appreciate you sitting down here to go over some some of these reasons and some of the ideas we have of why we need pharmacists engaged to help deprescribe and get rid of some of these big medical waste. Because, I mean, heck, if someone gets a ninety day supply of inhalers, they can be four or five hundred bucks each, versus paying us for making that intervention is much more cost effective. What if you could anything you could change about pharmacy? What would you change? I would flip
0: it. I mean, I know CPESN is trying to do the flip the pharmacy. But I would flip it where we are actually considered a provider and patients come to us for med management once they've been diagnosed. I don't think this will take away from uh, physicians and providers and their reimbursements and such because their schedules seem to be so full that they would appreciate the help. And then just to get a pharmacist's perspective about how these medications work together is just invaluable having that different perspective really helps facilitate better care for the patient
1: okay so you're talking about almost like a i don't want to say the word revolution but a total change in the way we, we dispense medications and prescribe medications where basically the patient will get a diagnosis from prescriber it could be a nurse practitioner a physician even a specialist and with that diagnosis and managing their other medications, they come to us so that we're treating them holistically to treat the whole patient based off all of their diagnoses, correct? Yes. Okay. That's a that's something I've been kind of saying for a while but I have not said in this podcast yet, and I really like the idea. You said it was Flip the Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. was the, uh, I believe they have a podcast or some other social media sites out there as well where people can follow them on that. It's Flip the Pharmacy, mm-hmm. F-L-I-P, Pharmacy, not P-H-L-I-P, like we always tend to spell things with pharmacy. Uh, so uh-huh. that would be a that would be a game changer. I really like that one. I'll have to dive more into that and maybe reach out to them for an episode here. Well,
0: I can give you some names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> great, with yeah. that. Uh, if there is one law you could change about pharmacy, whether it be federal or state, what would you change?
0: And I know this is totally this is totally away from everything that I've said because I do think everything that I said is coming as far as pharmacists being able to manage chronic disease state medications. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, but being able to use manufacturer coupons on Medicare Part D prescriptions. Okay. I would really like to see that because I'm always trying, one of the main things that I get to do in the office is find lower cost alternatives for the patients, whether it's a therapeutic interchange or just finding a lower cost alternative. But if we can help those Medicare patients, by using manufacturer coupons, I don't know why that they are unable to be used. That would be very helpful. Patients to afford medications, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've always wondered why that one got put in the law, and you figure the government would want to do whatever they can to help their patients, but there had to be somebody, whether it's insurance or a drug manufacturer, who who lobbied someone to get that exclusion put in there. It's the only thing I can think of.
0: Yeah, and I know that's just a little tiny, tiny thing, if I could change any law at all, but that one just irks me, because it
1: just does (laughs) well yeah especially medicare because you're talking about people who are elderly generally have lower income levels or people who are on disability so why shouldn't they be allowed to take full advantage of that Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. you got me stumped on that one hey well thanks for coming on sue i appreciate it that's really all i have here today anything else before we close out this uh this podcast episode no
0: thanks so much for having me on i appreciate it and i love what you're doing eric
1: Hey, thanks a bunch. Thanks for coming on today. Your insight's been awesome as always. Uh, Again, we kind of listed at the top of the podcast, the different ways that people can find you and all the businesses you run. Uh, You're always on LinkedIn. I see you post stuff on there all the time as well in a professional setting, obviously. So with that, listeners, if you like this episode, please subscribe and or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.